0: Sutra Oogaina chittasya padena vacham Malam shariracia chavaitiakena Yopa pravaram muninam Patanjalim pranjali. I prostrate with folded hands before Patanjali who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind grammar for speech and by removing impurities of the body through medicine so in the last class we were studying the 40th 30th 38th to the 40th sutra of the second chapter of patanjali yoga sutra as we have already seen these are the sutras which is dealing with the result that ensues when you get established on the practices of yama and niyama that how to know that you have been established in the yama the all the penances, the restrictions which you should have in your life and niyama, the observances that I have to restrict myself. That's the way in the garden I weed out, I remove the weeds. In the garden there are two things. I have to remove the weeds and I have to sow the seeds, the desired seeds. So removing the weeds is the yama, the restraints you practice. and. The sowing of the desired seeds is the observances, the niyama. So the flowers in the garden which you want, that they should bloom. It is by the observances that we, by sowing the positive seeds, we get the beautiful garden in the garden of my mind. And for that, all the practices which has been enunciated, we have already discussed quite a few of them. In the last class, we were discussing the observance, which is known as Shoucha, the cleanliness. When we speak of cleanliness, it doesn't mean the cleanliness of the body. Of course, it plays a great role, cleanliness of the body, the external cleanliness is needed for our spiritual life, but it should go hand in hand with the inner purification the purification of the mind. So for that we found that there are two sutras have been dedicated to show us the results that ensue when you get established in external purification, that's in the 40th sutra and the 41st sutra speaks of the result that ensues when you get established in the internal purification. There is a purification of the mind. So the 40th Sutra, let us just read the Sutra and have a very short discussion as we had some discussion in the last class. Just for a quick recapitulation, what the Sutra is, Shauchat sva jigupsha parai asam sargaha So in spiritual life, this is a very important practice, thereby the practice of purification what happens, you develop aversion for your own body. So you may find how come? So the, however, when you really try to keep your body clean, in a very no short time, we all find that it's by nature unclean. However, I try, I cannot just keep it clean forever. It's constantly the entire screen is actually an excretory organ. Constantly we are excreting all the foul materials through the skin for which we find so much of advertisement in your tv in your all the medias that this cream that cream but it itself is by nature unclean so when you start practicing this purification with the sense of really keeping the body clean you may say we all do that no for us, you will find that the attitude, the orientation is different. It's not just to keep myself clean, that I practice cleanliness. I practice cleanliness, my orientation is different. You all will agree. To make myself presentable to the society. With that the, with that orientation, immediately you will find the result is not ensuing. If my goal is just to keep the body clean, and then that result ensues. What happens? Swa anga Jugupsha. It is not when I'm trying to present, keep, make myself presentable to the society, to others. Then I can never realize that inherent uncleanness of the body. That my constant endeavor to make myself presentable to others hides the fact that it is by nature unclean. It is just like as swamiji in some other place is saying that. Trying to make this body presentable is just like covering a corpse with flowers. In no time, the flower will get rotten and the corpse with all its ugliness will again reveal itself. So all the scents, perfumes, that doesn't speak of cleanliness. Cleanliness is actually speaking of that the orientation that I really try to keep my body clean and in short time you will find that there is an aversion for the body. That doesn't mean that I don't keep it clean. That this anga means that interest for making myself presentable to other that falls off. And knowing it to be unclean, I still keep it clean because it has something to do with my health and hygiene. Only that much. And that way the aversion for the body develops. It's not that I torture my body. It is type of indifference. And with that, as my attitude has changed, what it has changed that I'm not keeping myself clean to make myself more presentable to others. Then the constant that endeavor you know, we have that in many ways to be physically associated with others that also starts falling off because in this world we will find that in the name of love this physical attraction is creates all complication the real love is actually finds expression in empathy in compassion in friendliness the more the so called lust the gets converted into the real love the more we will find fulfillment in our life it should get converted into real love, which finds expression through empathy, through compassion, through friendliness. It has nothing to do with our physical dimension of our existence. So that's what was spoken of in the 40th Sutra, but it deals only with the external purification. What about the mind? Just with the physical purification, if I'm not trying to keep my mind pure, then this physical purification is of no avail. So that other dimension of cleanliness, when I get established in it, when I get established in the internal purity, in the purification of my mind, what's the result that ensues from it? That has been spoken of in the next Sutra, the 41st Sutra. So let us read the Sutra and then we will go to the discussion. So what's the 41st Sutra speaking? Sattva Shuddhi each and every word is very significant we will come to the discussion sattva shuddhi manasya ekagra indriya atma darshana so what are the manifestations which happens manifestations in your personality Finds expression, what are the manifestations are there in your personality when you get established in this internal purification, sattva shuddhi. What this word means, shuddhi means purification, purification of sattva. We will come to the discussion just for the time being because sometimes it's very difficult to just translate it in English because it has some spiritual intonations which just by one or two words we cannot simply translate. We will need to elaborate a bit on it. Just for the time being, let us translate it as the purification of sattva, what it means we will come to it. So that comes first. Once that purification of sattva, you got established in it, from that what happens, so manasya, the cheerfulness of the mind. The spirituality has nothing to do with the long face. When Swami Vivekananda for the first time in the West was delivering lectures and they f- f- it was noticed that immediately after the lecture he's coming down from the dais mixing up with all and he's very cheerful so laughing, smiling and somehow that we have the with the idea of spirituality the idea is that he should be very reserved somber a very long face he should have he shouldn't be just having fun with others and when it was asked to swamiji that how come being a religious preacher you have so much fun and frolic he told yes that's the point i am a religious preacher i am not a dyspeptic i am not dyspeptic that when that your mind is pure it first expression it finds in that cheerfulness it's not some tintling your nerves with constant excitement, it's, doesn't, so many, it doesn't that so doesn't speak of that. When you get rid of the baggages, which you are constantly carrying, carrying in the form of worries and tension, we're always carrying that. And we are got so habituated with it, we never know that if we can just keep this weight down, what how relaxed, relaxed, I feel. We got habituated with carrying these baggages of worries and tension. We think it is something normal. And by chance, if it is taken down, and suddenly we feel, oh, I am so relaxed. I never felt it. This weight, these all these baggages became my existence. I thought that's the normal existence. And somehow I got rid of it. And immediately, what I find, oh, tremendous relaxation. That, that actually speaks of so manasya. It's not excitement. It is relaxation. So manasya speaks of. From the shatva Shuddhi that we will come, comes the so manasya. From that comes Ekagrata, that one-pointedness. The more your mind is relaxed, the more one-pointed it becomes. So these words are very important. Because with the relaxation, we may have the idea that my mind now is in a lethargic state. It cannot be focused, no when you are really relaxed then only you can think of the real focus ekagrata and when you are focused in something then only you can get rid of your bodily ex- existence that leads to indriya jaya you transcend your senses and in ultimately you develop the capability to realize who you are atma darshana Yogyattva. Just see these words are so significant, poignant words. It's just indicating with these words the state in in which you get established when you attain that internal purification. So now we will take one by one each of these words. So this what is Sattva Suddhi? So just we know that there are three Gunas. Sattva, Raja, Tama. Raja means active, action, ambition, action, all this speaks of rajas. Tamas speaks of lethargy, obsession, uh, procrastination, all this speaks of tamas. And sattva is the balance, the calm state. It's neither extremely active nor it is dull. what this sattva shuddhi is actually speaking of for the first time when we are thinking of meditation you sit for meditation it's a common thing what happens i find it's so difficult to control the mind it is constantly is constantly jumping from thought to thought it is the monkey mind that's what uh, our the state of mind is full of activity restless it is full of rajas now with a little endeavor somehow i am capable of calming it down and you will find it goes to the other extreme and suddenly for the little for the little while if i can calm down the mind immediately it goes to a state of lethargy dullness drowsiness it's a common thing you will find that those who are trying to practice meditation, that the moment they can stop that restlessness for a little while, immediately it goes to the state of drowsiness. And many think it's it's a very exalted state of meditation, but it is actually going to the tamas. So you're going to the two extremes. When I am not an adept in meditation, I'm just a novice. It's a common experience, that it is either the monkey mind and with a little effort, when I can, to a certain extent, calm it down, it goes to that torpidity, lethargy, drowsiness, dullness, which sometimes we feel as a very high state of meditation, but actually it's not. That's why Swami Vivekananda always used to say that Tamas always comes in the disguise of Sattva. So many times we are befooled in our life. By taking the tamas, that lethargy to be something sattva. That's not sattva. Then what actually is a sattva? Now, now this with this effort, when I am trying to calm down the mind, at the same time I am not allowing it to go to that state of torpidity, to the state of lethargy, to the state of drowsiness and try to keep it in that calm state, fully aware. I am aware of my own mind i'm not allowing it to break into various thoughts nor i am allowing it to go into the lethargy then as if you enter into a flow fully alert but at the same time not restless it needs practice at the beginning of this practice there are only two types of meditation throughout the world there are you will find there are so many uh, methods of meditation the various schools are following. Sometimes we get confused. But if you just go to the nature of the meditation, you will find there are only two meditations. Either we take up one idea, a thought, and focus on it, that is a focused meditation, or else we are just observing the mind. We are not having a particular object of meditation. There's a mindfulness. We are just observing the mind. So we can practice any of them or both of them. The result at last should be that establishment in the sattva. That if I am just focusing that what happens, my mind doesn't break into the other thoughts, it remains in that ekagra vritti, the thought which I have chosen to focus on, the mind remains there. It doesn't get sidetracked by the disruptions of the other thoughts. No, it remains in that one thought. At the same time, it is not going to the torpid state, into the drowsy state. It is focused in that thought. And for that, you are not exerting that what happens sometimes, even if my mind remains in one thought, I find I have to use my willpower to be alert that it shouldn't break into thoughts or it should go to the torpidity. So I'm using my willpower. So that also speaks of rajas. That also is not sattva. A time comes when the staying in that state where my mind is totally calm has become spontaneous. No effort is required. It happens. It speaks of the neuroplasticity of our mind. It doesn't happen in a day when I'm practicing again and again, again and again. Gradually, I go to that state. And when I reach that state of that spontaneous, calmness, tranquility, that's the Sattva Shuddhi has been spoken of. Sattva, which is pure, it is not mixed with Rajas and Tamas. Most of the time, though that Sattva is there, immediately it breaks either into restlessness or torpidity. So that, uh, 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 that's why it is mixed up. It's not pure. When Sattva gets purified, the mind is neither going to the state of restlessness nor going to the state of lethargy. It remains calm in that one thought, and that also is spontaneously, without any effort. This is spoken of as a sattva shuddhi. It happens through practice. That spontaneity is something when it develops, immediately you feel the tremendous joy. And then only it can give you qualitative meditation. For most of us, we think meditation is a matter of willpower my mind will be distracted. Again, we are using my willpower. I will bring it back to my object of meditation. As long as I'm using my willpower, I can never have true meditation. It should become spontaneous and I should develop a sense of liking for it. Unless that liking develops, I can never have true meditation. Emotion should get involved with your practice. Just to understand, when the mother never has to sit down and meditate on the child lest she forgets her child. The love is there. As when the love is there, then the true meditation is there. Whatever she might be doing, a part of the mind is always for the child. The, where the child is, I have to feed it or whatever. Twenty-four by seven, the mother's mind is on the child, whatever she may be doing. And a part of the mind is always there for the child. So this meditation, that is a real meditation. That is spontaneous meditation. There, there is no need for willpower. So that's the real meditation. Unless the my meditation has got tagged with my emotion, I can never have true meditation. How it happens? By constant practice, it happens. We have to go on practicing. To. Take the meditation into that stage where I start liking it, where my my emotive faculty gets involved. That practice alone is the way. I have to have patience. Swami Vivekananda used to speak of three P. That speaks of the entire spirituality. Purity, patience, perseverance. It doesn't happen in a day. I have to go on with it. Swami Vivekananda used to say very nicely that spiritual evolution is just not like a downpour. Rain is there like a downpour. I can see the rain is falling. The ground is getting drenched. He used to say the spirituality is like the falling of the dew drops. When it has fallen, I haven't noticed. I go out, I see the entire ground. The grass field is drenched with moisture, with water. When it has fallen, I haven't seen it has happened unperceptibly. it takes time that at any moment of time almost there is no visible change most of the people get frustrated in the spiritual life thinking nothing is happening but with an example you will understand that it is happening but it is imperceptible how what an example what example we can cite here just take the shivalinga that smooth that stone which we worship as the Shiva. It was a coarse rock on the most probably on the river bed for about a hundred years. It was lying there and the water, the stream of the water was flowing over it. At any point of time, if you just look at that coarse rock, no change is there, no change is visible, but change is happening. In hundreds of years that all the angularities have washed away. You find it has become a very smooth uh, stone. And now it is so valuable that I use it for my worship. So that's how the mind is. The mind with all its angularities is like that rough rock, coarse rock with lot of angularities. My Ekavritti, my, uh, my meditation should be like a flow of the river. At any particular time, almost there is no change visible, but it's happening. So for that, I need patience and perseverance. That flow should go on. I should never stop that flow. Again and again, I should go on trying, trying, trying with each and every attempt. You know it for certain that your mind is getting cleansed. Your mind may again distract. Again you try, it is getting cleansed, how? Because whatever is in my mind is not something which is there by itself. I must have thought all of those thoughts consciously at some point of my life. And we believe in transmigration, if not in this life, in some past lives. What I have done consciously, that has gone into my subconscious mind. Anything which is entering my subconscious mind, the only gateway is the conscious mind. Through the conscious mind, it goes to the subconscious and goes and stays there. And once it is there, now and then it starts popping up. Subconscious mind, all the thoughts will pop up and it will come to the surface of the conscious mind. And that's what is constantly happening through our life. This all these subconscious thoughts are now and then popping up. And that is distracting mind. They come, they pop up, and my mind gets distracted. And how I can control the mind? The only way is go on thinking again and again that the object of meditation, the thought of meditation which you have chosen, go on repeating, it distracts, again I try. What happens, you know, that is the only way of purification of the mind. What happens that as we told the clue is what I am doing consciously, that becomes subconscious. Now my subconscious mind is very strong with all those diverse thoughts, Sarvarthata. Because that's what was my way of life, maybe for lives together I was doing that. It's so powerful now. My conscious attempt is very feeble, it's just thrown out by the subconscious mind. I find almost that as if there is no uh, result ensuing from my practice, I feel hopeless. But know it for certain, if I have perseverance and continue in spite of repeated failures, what is happening now, that each and every attempt consciously you are taking, that is going to the subconscious mind. And now, gradually, imperceptibly, almost unperceived, it is not perceived. This All this attempt for keeping the mind concentrated, that is gradually sub- saturating your subconscious mind. To give an example for this this type of practice, suppose my mind is just like a cup full of turgid contents. It's impure water, and it is full to the brim. That's my mind at present. Now, what I do, my practice is like try to keep a flow of pure thought. So now that in the cup which is full of turgid content, I start pouring pure water. Now, as it is already full, what will happen? It will spill. It will start, the water will start spilling off. And you will find that turgidity is gradually getting diluted. It is getting washed away. A time will come, all the turgidity has been washed away. They have been spilled off. What remains in the cup is pure water. So that's how, what is happening at present with a constant attempt in spite of the repeated failure. Again, I try, again, I try each and every attempt conscious attempt is going to the subconscious mind is now saturating it gradually in yoga sutra this process is called parinama transformation and then the mind gradually becomes ekagra and now when your subconscious mind is full of that ekagra vritti that 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 one focused thought now the spontaneity comes what's the spontaneity what's in your subconscious mind that speaks up for spontaneity the subconscious mind, if it is full of distractive thought, that becomes, that distraction becomes your spontaneous mode of your existence. And if all the Ekagravritti is there, one point that becomes spontaneous now. And anything which is becoming spontaneous, immediately you start liking it. And then the practice becomes more intense. You know, in this life, whatever we like, all the things we like, all our so-called obsessions, all the obsessions, how it has grown, even the evolutionary uh, scientist will say how it has grown, that today's necessity becomes tomorrow's obsession. What I do out of necessity today, and we go on repeating it out of necessity, It it creates gradually a groove in my mind by this repeated practice. And a time comes when I forget the necessity. It has become my obsession. Once the road is formed, now I like to traverse through that road. That necessity I forget. And that's how we get trapped because of this way of operation of our mind. It gradually takes what you say that takes us, what you say, encircles us downwards it just goes on take it take just go on encircling us down we can again move out of it how that we will try to understand and then we will understand this satva to this it, it pictures various dimension of your understanding that you know that what has happened just that example which we state again and again that how we get obsessed that a child is not drinking milk and what the mother does, adds a little sugar. And immediately we will find the child is suckling. That the likeness for something sweet is something very innate. That's why we always give the chocolates to the child. Immediately you will find, they will grab it. Why that? From where we got that innate? As if from birth it was there. Why it is innate? That like liking for sweetness, for sweet things, isn't it? The nature scientist will say you, A very interesting thing that how we have evolved, that when we were food gatherers, we were not food producers. We haven't learned agriculture, our ancestors. They every day used to go to the forest to collect the food, to gather their food. So they used to collect the roots, the herbs, as the fruits, as their food. And in no time, they discovered a wonderful thing. That anything which is sweet in nature is never poison, is never toxic. Other tests, there's a doubt. Anything sour may nourish us, but may be toxic also. Anything bitter may nourish us, but may be toxic also. But if anything is sweet, 100% you can be sure in nature anything sweet is going to nourish us, it is not going to kill us. So it was out of necessity that yes, they discovered that anything sweet is something which nourishes us, it never kills us. Out of necessity, most probably they had no test for it. It was out of necessity. They were in search of sweet fruits, sweet herbs, sweet fruits. And now what has happened? Any food is hidden sugar. It has become our obsession. And from that, you're getting obesity, you're getting blood pressure, all the lifestyle diseases, you will find that so much awareness is now that we should have to avoid that excessive sugar we are taking. It has become obsession, we forgot the necessity and it instead of nourishing us is now killing us. And that's the truth for all our obsessions. All the things we think which gives us pleasure Sri Ramakrishna in the gospel again and again is repeating Kamini Kanchan Maya Kamini Kanchani Maya, and we sometimes think uh, so many will be thinking that oh Ramakrishna again and again is repeating the same thing. He is a misogynist. What has uh, that? But actually, what he is speaking is the truth. That lust and gold is Maya. Why? Those are the two things without which I cannot think of life. Lust means for propagation, wealth for sustenance. I cannot think of life without that just too. they are necessity. But from a bacteria till the human being, that's the necessity which is common to all of us. We need food, we need to procreate. And by constantly repeating that necessity, it has become a terrible obsession. What is the obsession? You open the newspaper, you just open any news channel and just listen to the crimes every day going on and just try to find out a single crime which is apart from these two not a single either it has to do with the lust or with the wealth so what has happened the necessity has got converted into obsession and that's how my mind is gradually spirally taking me downwards how to get rid of it now i st- someone tells meditate on god the one only thing which is changeless in this change changing world maybe it's a concept for me at at present but i take that idea i most probably it's just a make belief at present it has nothing to do with my realization but i take that idea and start meditating on the concept of divine in whatever way it may be and what happens the same thing when i'm repeatedly doing it again and again again and again I'm using that drawback of the mind, the weakness of the mind to use it in a positive way. The weakness now becomes my strength. What happens after some time by repeated practice, suddenly I will find obsession is growing for it. I started liking previously I had to do it with my willpower. Now the liking for it has developed because you are creating a new path. You are creating a new path in your mind with this repeated practice using the same neuroplasticity. And the moment that little liking comes, you are safe. As in the Bhagavad Gita it has been told, swalpam apyasya dharmasya trāyate A little practice of religion, of spirituality can save you from the great danger. How? But the little practice when that liking comes, even a little liking has come now you're safe. Now someone comes and says you these are of no avail. You may be intellectually convinced that these are these all practices are of nonsense. But on the third day you will find you cannot stay with that that practice because you have got little to some extent addiction. And this addiction is going to save you how it is going to save me very interesting you will find that this new addiction is qualitatively different from all other addictions. In in the process of evolution, all addictions were dependent on something external to me. Either it is wealth or it is relation or it is my name and fame because of some status in my life. All these have to depend on something external. As a result, it is constantly full of concern. Till I get it constantly, I have the fear I may not get it. Whether it is relation, whether it is wealth, whether it is your position in life, I may not that I what I am aiming, I may not get it. And once I get it, still again the fear is there. I may lose it anytime. This is the concern related to yoga kshema. This yoga is not a spiritual yoga. Yoga means to attain something. Till I attain the fear of not getting it, is there? Kshema. And once I get it, the fear of preserving that I may not preserve it, fear of losing it is there. So the Kshema is preserving. So always with all our obsessions, the concern factor is there. But now this spiritual practice, maybe it's a make-believe. There is no God. For the time being, let us forget that there was a mere make-believe. That's what uh, the world's trend is now. That is our all make-believe. Yes, I may take it as a make-believe. Let me take it. But it has saved me a great. What? This make-believe, this mental process which has started, it, is, it has nothing to do with something external. I come back from my work. I sit down. It's just a mental process. It is always with me. No one can take it away from me. As one song of Mirawai is there, Kharche nahi koi. What's this wealth like? Kharche nahi koi. Chor na lewe. Dina dina varata savaya. It never gets expended. No one can steal it. No one can steal it from me. No, one, no thief can steal it away from me. Dina dina varata savaya. Other wealths, the more I use, the more I expend, it gets exhausted. This is the more I use, the more the groove in my mind is getting deeper and the more intensity of emotion is welling up the more intensely I start liking it. And this is the thing which saves me. How it saves me? There's all the innumerable obsessions which I have in my mind. I cannot get rid of them. I may intellectually feel, I may just with my mind, I know that they are harming me, but I'm dragged by them. And because I'm obsessed by them, I've already created those paths. Now, how to get rid of them? Only way is this new path. Now, this new path, as I told, as we were in, discussing that, is qualitatively different. It has no concerns, but it is something which I've internalized. It is not depending on something external. So we have for the first time created a road which is freeway. There is no traffic. When I have to depend on something external, I am as if in traffic. My interest clashes with your interest. We are in junction. Here for the first time you have created an interest which in no way clashes with other. As Sri Ramakrishna simply used to say that the moon in this, you know that for the mother for the first time shows the moon to the child and says, that is your uncle in, 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 uh, in India, the countryside. That's the way the mother will be saying "That's the uncle. So the moon is the uncle of all. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. saying a simple word is to say, God is God of all. When I love a person and some other person someone else also loves that person, there is a clash. But when I love God, you love God, there is no clash. There's no clash. It is something which you have created a freeway. There is no junction. Now, when already when you get a freeway, will you ever go back to that road full of traffic? Of course not. Why should I go back? So now what happens? Now your natural tendency becomes to traverse through this path, which is freeway, which is is having no such traffic junctions. It's a freeway. And the more you traverse, what happens, the other paths now gradually closes up. You will find that most probably every day you go for a walk in the park and all used to just follow a particular course for their walk. And you will find the grass has dried out and something like road has been created. Now, if that course is changed for a few days, people don't follow that path anymore and starts walking takes a different track. In few days, you will find the grass has grown, that path has vanished. Same thing happens with the mind. With your qualitative, this difference, this freeway once you have created, you naturally spontaneously, you have now obsessed by this, the other path starts vanishing. And that's the only way of getting rid of our obsessions. That's how nicely said Ramakrishna says, the only way, if I want to get rid of the West, I cannot push the West. I just have to go towards the East. The more you go towards the East, the West automatically falls behind. The more you practice, the more the this, your spiritual groove deepens, the more the other Groups starts vanishing. That's what Sri Ramakrishna says: "Kata diye kata tola. You use you are walking through a forest, and accidentally you stamp over a thorny bush. A thorn has pierced your skin. How to get rid of it? From the same bush, you pluck another thorn. Use this thorn to pluck out the thorn which has pierced you. And once it has been plucked out, you throw both the thorns. So all these practices are not the ultimate thing. At last we will throw them. I own neither the bad thoughts of my mind. I neither own the good thoughts. At present, they are very important, valuable. But a time will come with this thorn. I plucked up this thorn. I will throw them both. They are not of any use. As Buddha used to say, he is a fool who after crossing the river carries the raft on his shoulder. There's no need for it. Why should I carry the raft on my shoulder? Its purpose was to just take me to the other shore it has taken. So all these good practices also has to fall off. But at the beginning, it has an importance. So when you have already deepened your groove and other things have started falling off, that speaks of the sattva-shuddhi, a spontaneity, a liking for the good thing has developed, other things have started falling off. So now you will understand that sattva-shuddhi in your, your sattva is bereft of rajas and tamas. Your mind is fully awake, alert, but not distracted. That is the state of sattva-shuddhi. That leads to soumanasya. The next thing, the soumanasya. What soumanasya? Cheerfulness. So for the first time, my mind was full of worries and tensions. Because with all those obsessions which, with which I was... Uh, what is it? I was carrying them for lives together. They were like a backpack, which I was carrying. I got habituated with them. For the first time, I somehow I got rid of the backpack. I never realized that relaxation, because I was so habituated with it. I thought that to be the natural state of my existence to have that backpack. First time you keep it down, and tremendous relaxation comes. The weight has gone. All your worries and tensions has fallen off. That speaks of the Somanasya, the free from all baggage. That gives a feeling of lightness, of tremendous pleasantness, of relaxation. And now from this, once you're free from the baggage, all these baggage has fallen off. Now the mind spontaneously become ekagra. Kagra. The one desired thought or object of concentration with which you have started proceeding in your spiritual life that remains in your mind even without any attempt. Someone is jokingly, this "Kagra state, we can understand very nicely, someone, a young novice in our order, in some sixties, seventies, when transcendental meditation was very famous, it has just started growing. So this term, naturally the novice in our order was not acquainted with that, what this transcendental meditation is. So he went to one of our senior swami, a very jovial swami, to ask, Swamiji, do you have an idea of transcendental meditation? The swami replied very nicely, Well, well I do not know what this transcendental meditation is, but Guru Maharaj taught us dental meditation. What is the dental meditation? That when you have a toothache, whatever you may be doing, you can never forget that ache. It is always there. So when that object of your meditation has become spontaneous, or you would do anything in your life, a part of the mind is always engaged in it. That's what in the in a very simply what our brother Lawrence speaks of in the practice of the presence of God. He was he as he had no educational background, but he was a saint. When the work which was given to him in the monastery was to clean the vessels. While doing that, he always used to feel the presence of the divine. It was always with him in all his actions. He did not have to sit down or kneel down for saying his prayers and meditation. The presence of the divine was always there. It has become an habitual state of his mind. It's always there. And part of the mind is always there engaged. That is like a toothache. Whenever you have a toothache, you never forget that. Whatever you may be doing, a part of the mind is always being disturbed by the toothache. So here the thought of the God has become something like the toothache. That's the dental meditation. Jokingly, jovingly, he's saying. So that's the thing. When you grow, do it gradually, it happens. Know it for certain. There is no slipshod remedy in spiritual life. The biggest problem in the present age is this, that there are so many options. We go on jumping from one practice to the other. Constantly we are doing that. We are jumping from one practice to the other. That for a few days we do something, we find that at the beginning, you will find a very interesting thing. For any practice at the beginning, it gives an exhilaration. And then the plateau comes, it stops. And then we think it is not working, we jump to the other thing, other practice. Why that initial exhilaration comes? Because it is in our psyche. That the other side of the river is green, greener. Always our other side looks green. That's adventure is in our genes. That whenever we have no resource, we think moving out will give us resource. So that's why initial exhilaration actually speaks of that obsession for something new. And that gives exhilaration. We think, oh, it's working. And then the plateau comes. Nothing works. And we jump. But that's the, that if you, I if you go on jumping, it will give that temporary tintillation of my nerves, but it is not going to really help me spiritually. I have to stick to a particular practice. That's why Sri Ramakrishna used to say a very nice thing that if you go on digging well for, for getting water, I start digging well and I get some rocky terrain. I just stop digging there. I just choose some other spot. Again, I start digging and I get some sand. Again, I shift. I will never get water. I have to go on digging one place if I get water. And that speaks of this Ekagra. That when, through that practice, I am just creating a deeper groove as if in my mind. My mind is becoming spontaneously Ekagra, one pointed. And I've started liking it. It gives me a tremendous joy, cheerfulness. The mind is becoming more and more Ekagra. When it happens, it results in jaya. For the first time, you, as if though you are in the body, you f- don't feel your body. Even in your day-to-day life, you will find that when I'm talking to you, if someone calls me, I can immediately hear. Why? Because just to go on with the conversation, only a small part of my mind is required. My remaining mind is free to take care of other activities. But when I'm doing something in a focused manner, suppose the Australian Open tournament is going on and I'm watching it in the TV. And I am so passionate about it, someone calls me I don't hear. The sound is entering my ears, but it is get detached from my mind, because the mind the entire mind, almost the entire mind, has been taken away by the event which is going on in this TV screen. So that no this that the amount of that the portion of the mind required to just respond to that call has been taken away by an object of concentration that falls off automatically. If it is still more intense, if the concentration is still more. When the match is going on most probably the time for lunch or for the dinner your family members call you you don't feel hunger because hunger is nothing but a biological alarm isn't it it's a biological alarm that your body is giving that alarm now it is time for food now it requires the food for the alarm to be active it requires a part of your mind but that also has been taken away your object of concentration so you're so focused For the time being you forget thirst, you forget hunger, you forget tiredness. So though you're in the body, all the bodily feelings are falling off. So the more you become Ekagra, that's the only way of Indriyajaya, of of transcending the senses. We have to develop focus on something sublime to get rid of the bodily feelings. Though we are in the body, we can become Videha, as if we have no body. It happens with a surgeon, if, that that example sometimes we give that how to develop that ekagrata why we don't develop if, if that's the only way to come out of our the limitations which this body and mind imposes on us if that's the only way this focus Then why don't we develop because we don't have a sense of necessity the sense of necessity alone can make us ekagra just to give an example when the surgeon is operating on a patient. The same surgeon, most probably when he was standing in a bus stop to catch a bus and the bus was delayed, just five minutes, 10 minutes, and he felt the ache, his leg has started aching. He's not habituated to stand as if for five, 10 minutes extra in the bus stop. The same surgeon, when he's in the operation theater, operating on the patient for eight hours, most probably very complicated operation. He's up for eight hours. He's standing and operating on the patient for eight hours. He has not taken a single glass of water, no food. He doesn't feel the tiredness, nothing. It's only when the operation is over then all those things he feels. Not for eight hours he is doing that operation. He f- never felt the need for food, water, nothing. No tiredness, no exhaustion. What has happened out of necessity. He knows when I'm operating on the patient, a little mistake, the scalpel which I'm holding in my hand, the, the surgeon is holding in his hand, a little carelessness can be at the cost of the life of the patient. That gives that sense of necessity. From that necessity came that focus. Sri Ramakrishna used to say a very nice thing, you know, that we say we are spiritually oriented, but we are all atheists. If you know there is a treasure in the next room, which is locked, and suppose I am a thief, can I sit quietly? Constantly I will be thinking how to break that lock and get the treasure. The treasure is so near us, it's within us. If we don't feel that necessity to break the lock and get it. How can we say we are spiritual? If we knew that it is something within, the treasure is within, just we have to break the lock and get it, that necessity should have given us that as we really don't believe, it's all just our lip service. If you would have really believed that ekagrata is bound to come, we don't have the sense of necessity. Once the sense of necessity comes, ekagrata is bound to come and from that the Indriyajaya is bound to come. The more you're focused, the other things are bound to fall off. And that at last, the same Ekagratha at the beginning, that short-term effect, Indriyajaya, all you transcend your the bodily feeling, the senses, and the long-term gain is Atma Darsana Yogyatva. That practice alone can take you to the realization of the self. How it happens? The first, the first is Indriya that we understood. Now, when we I am constantly focusing on any spiritual thought, whatever it may be. The idea behind all the spiritual thought is that this existence, my bodily existence is a limitation. Whatever may be your religion, ultimately I believe that I am the spirit whose existence is beyond this body-mind complex and it is eternal. If I am a devotee of God, I know God is eternal, the true real me is eternal and our companionship is eternal. If you are a Gyani, you think I am the Atman, you may not be trying to have some relation with others, but I am eternal. The sense of limitlessness is the basic of all the spiritual practices. And with this, when it has become your focus, what happens? It is hammering the hub of a will. My personality is like a will where all the spikes are the mental modules with fixed stimuli response conditioning. There are innumerable desires. Each and every desire is like the spike, but all the desires has to be linked with the ego. When I say that such a particular delicacy I like, who likes it? I, that limited sense of I, that ego, with that all your likings and dislikings are attached. So there are innumerable spokes with which that hub, the ego, the I is connected. Now if I, with lot of effort I get rid of one of the desire, as if one spike has broken, the will is still intact. The will cannot fall off. But if I can just kick, take off the hub, all the spikes will fall at a time. So all the spiritual practices, whether you are a devotee, whether you are a jnani, or you just practice mindfulness, is actually hammering the hub, that limited sense of ego. So in the long run, what happens, you're getting rid of the hub. The ego falls off, the asmita. With that, the agyana falls off in the long run. And then once that ego falls off, that ego is the cause of our bondage. As someone asked Ramakrishna, when shall I be free? Immediately the answer of Ramakrishna was, when I cease to be. Ami mukto ha bukabe. That I is the cause of our bondage The I is the core Of all our sin In the in the English word the sin S-I-N Literally I is the thing Which is the core of S and N I is there in the middle And in spiritual sense also That I is the core of all your sin That all this so called this Let the I fall off Everything falls off Immediately you can become one With the reality which you are, the soul, the Atman. So the same practice which at the beginning helps me to transcend the senses that of course is a very helpful in the long run, it enables me to develop the capacity to be really free to just throw off this ego as a trash, Janjal, it's just I throw it off. And for once for all, I get established in my real self I don't need the crutch of the mind and senses for my own existence. I throw off that crutch and assert my freedom, my Swarajya, that my independence. I was always independent. Somehow I was being ignorant of it. I thought I am bound. That crutch was never required, but I thought that I am lame and I was taking uh, taking the help of the crutch someone takes it off my friend, I can just walk. I was actually no need for that crutch. So for all our mind and senses are like that crutch at present because of the ignorance, I feel that those are the things without which my existence cannot be. The spiritual awakening takes away that all those things to take you to that realization that you for your existence, you need none of them. You are the eternal soul ever existent. And that's how this Ekagrata, though initially it is taking to the Indriya Jaya, ultimately it is leading to the Atma Darshana Yogyattva. So you find that each of the sutras are very wonderful. Means they, though they are speaking of a particular stage of your spiritual life, but if you practice it really perfectly, it is taking you to the ultimate. So they are, though they apparently appear to be sequential, but actually they are all complementary all these practices are complementary. Each of them by itself has the capacity to take you to the ultimate realization. Then why so many paths has been spoken of? It's just like uh, to help you with all that, as a human being, we have so many temperaments. We are intellectual, we are emotional, we are active. So why not use all the faculties so that I can accelerate my journey? So this, each of them individually can take you to the perfection, but I use all of them, not a sequence. All are complementing each other so that it can accelerate my process. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say that for in the olden days in the village, the goldsmith to smelt the gold, to melt the gold needs an optimum temperature of the fire. Now how to get the temperature? So he will be using so many fans with two hands this below, he's blowing the fire so that it flares up. If his legs are moving a paddle, which paddle is again connected to another fan. So that also adds up. And with the mouth, there's a pipe he's blowing. So using his mouth, his hands, his legs, all together create flares up the fire to get the optimum temperature to melt the gold. So why Sri Ramakishan is giving that example, he's saying that God has given me so many faculties. Why to be one-sided and just get biased with only one faculty, use all of them and be free as quickly as possible. Accelerate your process, the spirituality, if we leave it in the hand of nature, we all are going to be free either today or millions of years later. But spiritual practices are meant to accelerate that process, nothing else. We are all bound to be free. So, this acceleration can happen if I use all the faculties. So, that's what all these sutras actually speak of. They're not sequential, they're all complementary. Each of them has the capacity to take you to the liberation. But why others have been spoken? So, also I can use the other faculties and complement my practice with them so that I can accelerate my spiritual uh, this progress. So, that's what. So, with this, we discuss our. Uh, we st- uh, conclude our discuss- uh, discussion for the time being for today. So the other practices, that other pra- the establishment of the uh, in other practices of yama and niyama, we will continue again in the next class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Om shanti shanti shanti.